So I never thought I would be able to say this, but LeVar Burton, welcome to The Nod. Thank you, Brittany. I must say, I'm very happy to be here because you two, well, you're funny. You're both, (laughs) you you two make me laugh. (laughs) Can I just say that? Kunta thinks you're funny. And that's all I'm going to say about that. And I have my voicemail for uh, the rest rest of my my life. life. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for that. From Gimlet Media, this is The Nod, a show about Black culture from Blackness's biggest fans. I'm Brittany Luce. And I'm Eric Eddings. Oh, man. Well, LeVar, we have to be honest. When we found out that we were going to talk to you, we were thrilled. Like, we were basically freaking out. Yeah, because people might know you as the host of LeVar Burton Reads, your storytelling podcast where you read pieces of short fiction. But that isn't all you've done. No, no. You taught us how to read. You guided (laughs) us through the final frontier. And you taught us about our history. Like, we grew up with you. Mm -hmm. You basically raised, through television— Millions of people all over the world from, like, baby boomers to current mm-hmm. middle school students. Like, you've arguably raised, like, three or four generations of people. I've been, do- I've been in this game more than a minute. Um, and I've tried to be effective along the way. I would say that over the past four decades, you have been very, very effective, sir. <laughs> very, very effective. <laughs> very few people, very few celebrities, especially black celebrities, have consistently maintained your level— of like of reach and because of that we wanted to present to you the three reasons why you LeVar Burton you mm-hmm. are the goat the greatest of all television <laughs> <sighs> Oh, wow. Yes. Wow. That's huge, y'all. I mean, you, you just can't open your mouth and say some shit like that. We got reasons. We have support. Yes. Okay, we're going to— sh- We got. Do we you? have arguments. We're ready. Well, I—okay. We have to point out, normally this segment of our show is either Brittany or mm-hmm. myself presenting our case, trying to convince somebody. Right. But today is different. Today's going to be different. For a legend like yourself, that just didn't feel like enough. So Eric and I are going to work together, and we are going to present this to you. This is unprecedented, y'all. This is unprecedented. This this, this never happens on The Nod. No. This is new. I'm glad you recognize that. Thank you. (laughs) I do. I I do. I'm like, what? Brittany and I on the same side is like, this is literally the first. It's a rarity. Only for you, honestly. (laughs) Only for you. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for it. All right. So, without further ado. Get to it. Reason one that LeVar Burton is the GOAT, the greatest of all television. Wow. Kunta Kinte made it impossible for Americans to dismiss the realities of slavery by adding a human element to the slave narrative. We're prepped, so we're about to go all in. You are. All right. Wow. So people might not know now, but before Roots, when you saw slavery depicted on American silver or small screens, mm-hmm. there were very clear trends. 
So in movies like Birth of a Nation and Gone with the Wind, slaves were often depicted as simple or happy or overly sexualized and sometimes violent brutes and Jezebels. Or even in, in, in some narrative scenarios, they were, in spite of their enslavement, somehow perceived as being lazy and unwilling to work hard under the lash. But in January of 1977, all of that changed when the entire nation sat down to watch Roots. Roots, the current number one best-selling novel, is the television event of the year. The epic story of Kunta Kinte and his descendants, this man enslaved from his homeland in Africa who fights for his own freedom and to define his own and his family's legacy. Right. There's no way to overhype just how big Roots was. More than 100 million people in the U.S. alone watched Roots. Like, this was half the country. It was, yeah. <laughs> Literally 85% of all households right. who watch Televisions. TV. Yeah, right. That's crazy yeah. to me. We're, we're tuned to Roots, yeah. It, it was a perfect storm, really, because it was a particularly cold winter. Malls were closing. It was just, there, were, there, were, there was a good reason for folks to go home yeah. and huddle up because it was just cold outside. And, and so that combined with this new storytelling style the miniseries, the novel for television. It, it was just the perfect storm for, for what followed as a sociological phenomenon, not just a, a, a television event. It became the national conversation. And when those people tuned in, they saw you, LeVar Burton, as Kunta Kinte. Not a happy, bumbling slave or a violent, sexualized brute, but a man fighting to survive, to regain his freedom, and to assert his humanity under this, like, brutal, brutal system. Yeah, the Kunta that you met was a warrior. When we meet Kunta, he is, he is pre-manhood training. We go through the manhood training rituals of the Mandinka people along with him. We are invested in his journey by the time he sees white people for the first time and runs back, runs home to tell his people. I saw white men. What did you say? I said, I saw white men. And because of our investment in Kunta, we really care about what happens next. And when he's put on that ship and deposited on the shores of Annapolis, Maryland, we're with him every step of the way. We are. And, like, the, the gravity of that is that that performance literally changed the way the country visualized what Black people experienced. That miniseries and your performance of Kunta Kinte gave him hopes dreams and feelings. And it humanized him in this way that really hadn't been done for this type of character. And not for this audience, not for America. Roots Roots was new information introduced into our American consciousness around how we hold slavery. Whether you're black or white, you have a feeling about it and its current impact in society. And so this was a major shift. One of the things that I felt like was a part of that shift is the way you and the writers really embodied this warrior that you described, this will to fight. I think specifically in what is probably one of the most iconic scenes from the film— after Kunta Kinte runs away from the plantation, he's, he's brutally whipped in this attempt mm-hmm. to get him to, to finally submit to his life as a slave. And they do this by trying to get him to take the name that his master has chosen for him. Your name is Toby. I want to hear you say it. 
Your name is Toby. You're going to learn to say your name. Let me hear you say it. What's your name? Kunta. Kunta Kinte. When the master gives you something, you take it. He gave you a name. It's a nice name. It's Toby. And it's going to be yours till the day you die. Hearing this clip is brutal. Mm. And even though Kunta eventually submits and declares himself Toby, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the special thing about that scene is it seemed to focus on his will. So much so that when he does finally say the words, my name is Toby, everyone in the scene watching, black and white, they all seemed surprised. Toby, my name is Toby. Hi. That's a good nigger. Cut him down. I've seen that scene between school and home (laughs) like a million times. And Mm -hmm. what sticks with me is not that Kunta Kinte gave in in this moment and accepted the name Toby, but it's what he was actually willing to endure to stay Kunta Kinte. That's a really important distinction. And and the the decision that, that Kunta needed to make in that moment was, am I prepared to die in this moment? Is this my final moment? And I, I believe that he decided, no, this is not my final moment, and I need to live in order to fight another day, right? Mm. And so I'll say what it is you want me to say. I'm not stupid. I know what you've wanted me to say for months. And so I'll give it to you. But you will not have the last word. You can't fully understand that moment in that character's life without the moment that follows, which is... Kunta is cut down and is in the arms of Fiddler, mm-hmm. played by Lewis Gossett Jr. Fiddler says to Kunta, Would you care what that white man call you? Make you say Toby. Would you care? You know who you be? Kunta. Who you always be? People like Fiddler learned how to survive slavery. We we have given short shrift to to that compromised character, and we have been given an image of of that archetype from the oppressors, and it has skewed our vision of who we are. Mm -hmm. But this is the time of the awakening. And we are waking up now to who we are. And Roots paved the way for that. Roots had a very important role in this current emergent consciousness. I'm curious, before it came out, like how much did you have a feel for just how complex and new a thing it was that that you had worked on? I knew during the filming of it that it was that it was different. On a film or television set, the makeup trailer is is sort of the heartbeat of the set. It's where the actors 
gather in the morning. They come there after lunch to get a touch-up, and then they take their makeup off at the end of the shooting day. And so it is a safe space for actors. And I knew from my time in the makeup trailer that people like Dr. Maya Angelou, Cicely Tyson, Moses Gunn, G2 Kambuka, all of these performers that I had revered my entire life were talking about how special this was in their storied careers, how this was the first time for them that they felt Mm. like they were telling the story Uh. of slavery in America Mm. or telling our story from our perspective. And that was new for them, and it certainly was new for me. I mean, their their perspective really opened my eyes. My understanding is actually that you were still in college when you got this role? Mm-hmm. I was, yeah. I was, uh, I was a sophomore studying theater. Roots was my first professional audition. It's a hell of a debut, I must say. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, it is. I, I mean, I used to say back in the day, if, if, if I had been given an opportunity to, to dream up my perfect break into the business, I would not have dared to dream that big. I don't know how you can listen to all this and not feel confident in this first reason mm. that you, LeVar Burton, are the greatest of all television. That reason being that your performance of Kunta Kinte added a human element to the slave narrative, making it impossible for Americans Mm. to dismiss the realities Mm. of slavery. Mm. Mm -hmm. That's my piece. Mm. Brittany, Brittany, are you ready to take it further? I'm ready. I'm ready. I got a baton. I'm ready. You're in my hands now, LeVar. Mr. Burton. I feel like I still want to call you you. Mr. Burton. I'm with you. I'm with you, Britt. I'm with you. Okay, so the second reason that you, LeVar Burton, are the GOAT. Jordy LaForge taught us that space is for Black people. Right. Okay, so I wouldn't necessarily call myself a Trekkie, but I did watch my fair share as a child of Star Trek The Next Generation. I love that show. On this show, you played Jordy LaForge, who was the helmsman of the ship, the Starship Enterprise, and later the chief engineer of the Starship Enterprise. Jordy was a person who's blind, and because of that, he wore a visor, which is a tool mm-hmm. that allowed him to see. The visor itself actually kind of looked like a, like a fancy metal headband, and this visor became like a major piece of Star Trek iconography, mm-hmm. and it made mm-hmm. Jordy one of Star Trek's most memorable characters. Like, I mean, like, you know, it's like Spock's ears <laughs> to Geordi's visor. I never thought of it that way, though. But, yeah, you're right. I'm saying that's what we're here to do. We're here to uncover, <laughs> uncover untold <laughs> truths. <laughs> Anytime Picard was like, okay, how long is it going to take us? Geordi knew the answer. How fast do we need to go? Geordi knew the answer. Reaction sequence corresponding to specified norms. Magnetic plasma transfer to warp field generators for programmed specs. Commander... We should be going like a bat out of hell. Jordy is a depiction of a Black person in space that is uniquely memorable and iconic. When I think of who comes before Jordy, you have like Yohora from the first Star Trek, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Lando mm-hmm. Calrissian mm-hmm. from Star Wars, played by the iconic Billy D. Williams. The one you know and only. I mean? The one, there is only one. <laughs> the honestly. one and only. One and only. Billy D. But Jordy still felt completely new to me. Lionel Carissian was just really, really cool. And that definitely gave me something to aspire to. But there was Mm -hmm. something specifically relatable about Jordy. He is an everyman. He is an everyman. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like he makes corny jokes, like just like me. So the guy staggers to his feet and goes back to the girl, right? Well, she smiles, (laughs) looks him straight in the eye and says, 
just try that in hyperspace. <laughs> yes. Very humorous indeed. Hysterical, in fact. I was never going to have, like, your Horace Beehive. And I was never right. going to have a perm. My mom actually never let me get a perm like Lando Calrissian. No, no unfortunately. But, yeah, but that's there's... probably a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm just saying that was probably a good good move, Mom. Good, good looking out. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but Jordy felt like somebody who was real to me, like a person that I could actually become. I'll buy that. Uh, I will not disagree. When you took this role, there hadn't really been too many major black characters in sci-fi. Yeah. You know, I'm wondering, in approaching this role of Jordy, like, how did you think about the possibilities of a black character in space? That's a really good question, Brittany. Because uh, the same held true for science fiction literature. I'm a science fiction literature fan. I mean, that's, that's the body of literature that I read for for pure pleasure. Mm-hmm. And in the pages of the science fiction novels and, and, and short stories I was reading, it was rare for me to encounter heroes who looked like me. Mm. Jordy, you know, he's not just in space, but he's in the future. And his existence mm-hmm. kind of speaks to some of the themes of Afrofuturism. You know, yes, it does. Jordy was an idea of a black man in the future who obviously he's totally unique, one of a kind, iconic, but he was also like a regular guy. Like him being black yeah. wasn't like a thing, but it was Wasn't definitely a part of who he was. But it was a part of him. That's right. That's right. You know, when you're a kid, black kid growing up in America, you know that you're black. People will never let you forget it. Yep. Sometimes, you know, in a way that is hurtful or, or doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. the thing that was cool to me about Jordy is that he, like, he was this black man in the future who who isn't carrying his blackness and, like, some of the weight and trauma that can come with that in the same way that I do. That was a very, very specific message that became a part of the character. That in the future, we will have been able to successfully purge all of that genetic detritus, all of the garbage, um, psychically as well as chromosomally the ravages of, of slavery will have been bled out of, of our genes, uh, you know, purged from our blood by the 24th century. And, and Jordy didn't carry that baggage. By the time we got there, Jordy represented a freedom mm. from that baggage. And that's a, that's a really important statement, I think, to make. Just the idea of that. You know, it makes me think about what you said about Kunta, sort of like you want to live to fight another day. Yeah, you know, right. just like the just yeah. the possibility of that is so motivational. Right. Well, let's face it: when you're dealing with other, you know, life forms, <laughs> being black <laughs> and at the top of your list of problems. <laughs> uh. Oh my gosh! Well, I read that there was one area of Jordy's life. Uh, that you thought was, like, the representation of that area, you know, was lacking on the show. And you you said it was his sexuality and his romantic life. Yeah. It always rubbed me the wrong way. If you really look at it, Jordy as a black man was Mm. the only member of that crew that wasn't having sex. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. The Klingon was having sex. Troy was having sex. Riker had sex with everything moving. That's true. Picard was always getting some. He was. Damn. Data. Had sex with Tasha Yar. That's but Jordy true. couldn't get any. For me, that was a subconscious 
omission. Yeah. We all have our native biases, whether we are aware of them or not. And on a writing staff and creative staff of all white men, did it surprise me? No. Mm-hmm. Did I believe they were conscious of it? Probably not. What do you think that viewers would have gotten out of seeing Jordy in more romantic situations? They would have, I think, gotten some of, of that unconscious information that that sexuality is a normal part of this man's experience, too. I directed a lot of episodes of Deep Space Nine, and I happened to direct an episode where we had a, a, a romantic scene. And it was really important for me to portray this moment, depict this moment with tenderness and loveliness and ease and grace and humor. Mm-hmm. That was an image of Black love that I hadn't seen mm-hmm. enough of. In, in my television diet throughout mm-hmm. the course of my life. So I wanted that to be a part of the lexicon. I'm wondering, what images did you see growing up that you, you know, that you saw but wanted to sort of move beyond or correct for when you were thinking of your portrayal of Jordy? That's exactly it. I didn't see a lot of positive images of Black masculinity in the media growing up. And so I felt it was given an opportunity, my responsibility to try and create some. It's so key that you said Black masculinity, because when I think of Jordy, I think of somebody who is a natural leader. I think of somebody who has a sense of humor, somebody who's highly Mm. capable, but also somebody with a kind heart. And it's rare that you see all of those qualities together when you think about media portrayals of of Mm. Black masculinity. And I I, I think Mm -hmm. it's so key that you made that specific distinction. It has been one of the joys of my professional career, genuinely, playing playing this character. Sorry, I'm just like, <laughs> I'm having all these memories of me uh, walking around with my mom's headbands over my eyes. <laughs> I'm just trying to be like you. <laughs> Did you bump into things? Because I, I, I bumped into everything. Uh, the really? First I bumped into I couldn't see my feet. You know, um, I, honestly, you were so good. It Like, now that I think about it, it would make sense that if your eyes were covered by a piece of metal yeah. all day long, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you would be running into stuff all the time. Look, I Thank thought you, you could see through the visor for real. I couldn't. And that was a drag. <laughs> well, to recap, Mr. Burton... The second reason why you are the greatest of all television, Jordy LaForge taught us that space is for Black people. Yeah. Amen. All right. So now it's time. We can do the third reason now. Wow. I'm exhausted, y'all. I need a nap. <laughs> Too much love. <laughs> I was about to say, well, get ready. It's not <laughs> get over. ready. It's not over. It's not over. <laughs> Woo. Okay. After the break... The third reason why LeVar Burton is the GOAT. And you don't have to take our word for it. All right, so... Here we go. So, for our third reason, we're actually going to switch it up a bit. I would like to think that Brittany and I made some very compelling arguments. Mm. I got mm. to share with you how Roots and Kuta Kente meant a whole lot to me growing up. Yes, I got to talk to you about how I frequently put my mother's banana clips over my eyes, trying to be Jordy LaForge from mm-hmm. Star Trek The Next Generation. But when it 
came to the final reason, as we were talking about it, one of our producers shared a story that was just so beautiful that we had to bring him in to tell you himself. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. So we would like to introduce to you Mr. Wallace Mac Mac. Bring us on home. Hey, LeVar, how you doing? What's going on? This is this too is unpre. Have you ever made an appearance? <laughs> Not on three reasons on- why. <laughs> wow. <laughs> <laughs> Woo. But when I heard that they were going to be talking to you, I like literally was like, there's no way y'all are going to talk to LeVar Burton and not bring me in the studio. <laughs> so shout out to Eric and Brittany for having me here. Shout out, Eric, Brittany. Shout I'll out. Shout yeah. out, Eric and Brittany. <laughs> like they say in church, I'm not going to hold y'all long. But I do want to get us into reason number three, why LeVar Burton is the greatest of all television. Three. You used a really unlikely medium, television, which people thought would kill reading, to actually teach a love of reading to countless children. And that had real tangible effects on our lives. So for anybody listening that doesn't know what Reading Rainbow is, which I don't know why you would be listening and not know what Reading Rainbow is, (laughs) (laughs) but Reading Rainbow was this educational children's television series, and it came on PBS Kids. 155 episodes, Mm -hmm. over 21 seasons of you reading to us. And one thing I do want to acknowledge is that the theme song for Rita Rainbow, all versions of it were hits. Shaka Khan. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) Shaka Khan's version is is pretty dope. Butterfly in the sky. I can go twice as high. Take a look. It's in a One of the most important things I think you can give a person is the gift of literacy. Literacy is associated with more positive outcomes in people, from diabetes to STD transmission to hypertension, Mm -hmm. depression. Mm -hmm. Adults that read have better chances at prevention due to increased awareness. People who read also live longer. Their Mm -hmm. families are healthier, and they're more likely to not live in poverty. So basically, Mm -hmm. like, there's no downside to knowing how to read. But I think even more important than teaching people how to read is teaching people to love reading. Mm. That's a thing that Reading Rainbow did for me and, like, so many other people. And you did it on TV at a time where all the adults in my life were yelling, all you do is watch that TV. All you do is watch that TV. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, nah, I'm watching TV. And he's reading. It works, you know? <laughs> it's true. So you teaching me and so many other people how to read. How, how to appreciate. How to appreciate read. it. How to right. appreciate it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that's like huge on a societal level. But I think for me on a very personal level, to have you this like kind and like attentive black male figure on TV like every day that was reading to right. me was important to me. For a lot of, like, younger kids and, like, younger black guys, I think a lot of us mm-hmm. share this, like, need to feel like like that our, that our parents are proud of us and that we are, like, the kind of kids that our parents want, especially for, like, sons to fathers. You always kind of want to feel like right. you are the, like, ultimate son for your dad. Right. 
when I was younger, I didn't necessarily feel that way um, with my dad. Mm-hmm. I always knew, I've always known mm-hmm. I was different. We just grew up really differently. He was a different kind mm-hmm. of guy. Mm-hmm. We went to the same high school. He was like star football wow. player at my high school. He was an army guy. And when, when I came around, it was like, ah, what can we get you involved in? Like, let's let's try basketball. Let's try football. And, and, and none of those things really worked out for me. Um, I always felt a, a little soft to him, a little a different, right. but I'd get the chance to see you on TV every day. And you're this man, like, standing there, like, smiling and, like, reading and, like, really affirming that the things that I cared about as a kid right. were okay. Had value. Yeah, and not only were you, like, reading to us, but you were opening up our worldview. Yes. I grew up in this, like, really small town. It's kind of, like, poor area in the country. Super isolated from everything. And I'm watching TV every day to watch you take me to different places. Right. So I was right. I would be at school and my mom was a teacher and she taught at the same school that I went to. Wow. And that your father went to. Yes. And so the school bell would ring and I would literally begin this sprint and this was like an everyday thing for me. So it would be bell rings, teacher dismisses you. I would immediately jet down to my mom's classroom where I could drop my things off and wait for the hallways to clear out. And then that began my like secret mission into the teacher's lounge where I could get the white cheddar popcorn for 50 cents, a honey bun Uh for 50 cents, and a Sprite Uh for 50 cents. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I secure my goods, run back to my mom's classroom, and literally sit like crisscross style every day after school to like watch you read to us. Um. And one of the, like, episodes that stands out the most to me with that is the Liang and the Magic Paintbrush episode when you went to Chinatown. Chinatown. Yes. The Mandarin Inn, Pell Street. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wow, Alex, this smells delicious. What is this? I'm serving you the Grandma Wong's chicken soup today. Grandma Wong's chicken soup, huh? What's in this now? You had the the whole chicken. Mm -hmm. You're, like, sitting down in Chinatown. Eating with chopsticks and talking to these business owners about their culture. And, like, these are things that I'm unfamiliar with, but things that I'm still curious about. Like, I I might, like, live in a poor area. I might, like, live in the country, but I want to know what's going on in the rest of the world. Um, And that was really transforming for me. And one thing that I do as an adult now is kind of like a practice that I have is that I'm constantly thinking about, like, what the childhood version of myself would like and like is the childhood version of myself proud of me and I make it a priority to do things that like make my childhood self feel proud and so now like at 25 living and working in New York City the Nod team shout out to Brittany and Eric they literally took me to Chinatown like a few weeks ago (laughs) (laughs) we were like and I had my chopsticks and we had dumplings and it's just like these really full circle moments and I, I get to like sit back and revel in the fact that like this is something that would have made my childhood self really proud I think he would have been overjoyed. And um, you and Reed and Rainbow were the catalyst for that for me. I, I can't say that I would have been able to like be as open and receptive to the changes and moves that have occurred in my life over the past few years if I hadn't had the motivation to want to go and experience the things that you showed me on TV when I was a kid. So that is why I begged Eric and Brittany to let <laughs> me come in the studio and tell you that you have had one of the biggest impacts on my life and we've literally never met. But I thank you so, so much for like existing 
being LeVar Burton and being that man on my TV during Reading Rainbow. Wow. I am humbled <laughs> by that. That that was amazing. What a great story. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> I, loved it. I loved it. I loved it. Next time I'm in New York, we're going to Chinatown, man. Yes, we Yo. are, because I tweet you all, all the time. All four of us. We're all, we're all four I of tweet us. you we're all going, the time. We're going to Chinatown. All right. And we'll get some dumplings. Sounds good to me. There you go. He knows All a good right. spot. Yeah, I know that. <laughs> I, <bet. laughs> I can't wait. So the three reasons why you, LeVar Burton, yes. are the GOAT, the greatest of all television. These reasons are, one, Kunta Kinte made it impossible for Americans to dismiss the realities of slavery by adding a human element to the slave narrative. Two, Jordy LaForge taught us that space is for Black people. And three, you used TV to teach a love of reading to countless children. And that had tangible effects on our lives. <sighs> wow. Well, um, thank you. All three. Um, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So, LaVar, we just went over all the things that you have done for all of us in the past now we want to talk about what you're doing for us today. So, you know, you've taken your love of reading. Wait, too much? That was we came enough. on too strong? Came on too strong? Wow. Y'all ain't tired of talking about me yet? So we, we We've been like waiting for this our whole years. life. Yeah, are you kidding me? <laughs> I bet, so you lucky this is all we got. You're going to get this love. Okay. okay. <laughs> so you've taken your love of, of reading and brought it to the world of podcasting. And your show, LeVar Burton Reads, has just gone into its third season. Yes. yes. The show is exactly how it sounds. You're reading us stories. But you aren't reading to kids. No. These are stories for adults. Yes, yeah. exactly. These are stories for adults, yeah. Storytelling for me, I mean, it's, it's just, it's a part of who I am. I breathe storytelling. That's what I feel like I was meant to do. And, and so to be able to do it with no barrier to entry, that's what was so great about the podcast format was that there was no barrier to entry. It's me and a microphone, right? Yeah. And a, and a good story. And then we do some post-production on it and add some layers of sound. And, and it's just theater of the mind, which is a pure form of storytelling mm. uh, for me. And I love it. I just, I just love it. I absolutely love it. I want to know what made you choose adults as a target audience. Because as a kid that you used to read to, I feel followed. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like you, you're sending <laughs> us a message, like, you're not giving up on us. And I want to know if that's intentional. It's absolutely intentional. Absolutely intentional. I wanted to do this for the audience of adults now who grew up with me suggesting literature to them when they were children. It just made perfect sense. So obviously when you were doing Read a Rainbow, you know, you had to limit your stories to things that were appropriate for children, which is why, you know, children's yeah. books, right? The show's for kids. But, you know, I'm mm -hmm. wondering if there are types of stories that you are excited to be able to read for an adult audience that would just would not fly for a kid's show. Oh, sure. I mean, we, we did a ghost story this season, Balto, uh, you know, scary stories. Uh, mm -hmm. We did a story, different kinds of darkness about kids who were not only living in a sequestered environment, were actually physically unable to see parts of their world due to implants they had been given in infancy because the world had become so dangerous. So the thinking was if they can't see it, then they, can't, they won't be afraid of it. Mm. That's not a story 
for children. No, and, that's too frightening. Know, but very much in the same way, I don't think fairy tales are necessarily for mm. children when you really drill down on what those stories True. are communicating. Yeah. So true. I think back to, I, I wanted my mom to check out Grimm's fairy tales from the library for me when I was a kid. And she yeah. started reading it to me and I was like, yo, we got to return this. <laughs> this is cursed. <laughs> we can't, you can't sit here. We're not talking about this. Yeah. Yeah. It's a wrap. I get it. So if you can, tell us where we can find the podcast and just more information about what you're doing now. LeVar Burton Reads is available wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher. You can find me at LeVarBurtonPodcast.com. On Twitter, I'm at LeVar Burton. On Instagram, LeVar.Burton. Somebody already had my name, the nerve. Um, <laughs> I, I put the dot in there. Y'all can find me. Well, LeVar, our time has come to an end. Sadly. Y'all, this has really been, it's been fun. I've, I've, I've enjoyed it tremendously. I really have. You could even. not have enjoyed it as much as we did. Yeah. Honestly. Was <laughs> <laughs> but honestly, thank you. This is like a career highlight for all of us. And it really means a lot for us to talk to you today. It truly is. Um, can I say that I'm proud of you? All three of you? Please. You can. <laughs> <laughs> You cite me as an influence in helping to shape who you are. And I am grateful for having had that opportunity. And I just want you to know that from where I sit, um, y'all turned out all right. This is the best day of my life. You guys were prepared, too. We try. Um, we and try. well-written, 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 well-written. I can't emphasize that enough. You guys wrote this impeccably well but you don't have to take my word for it and there you go <laughs> boom <laughs> I just thought I'd, I'd just drop that in <laughs> <laughs> thanks well, y'all thank you so thank much thank you so much yes thanks appreciate you Not is produced by me, Brittany Luce, with Eric Eddings, Kate Parkinson Morgan, and Wallace Mack. Our senior producer is Sada Abdurrahman. We are edited by Emmanuel Barry and Jorge Just. Engineering by Cedric Wilson. Our theme music is by Khalid B. Additional music in the show by Khalid B and Bobby Lord. For more LeVar love, you can follow us at The Nod Show on Twitter.